Pastor Chris will be back, I believe, next Sunday. Uh, you got to put up with me again today. Uh, we're in 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, as Kevin mentioned. And just quick recap, Peter wrote this letter uh, to Christians everywhere um, in order, telling them to prepare for the last days, you know, for, the, for hard times, difficult times, but specifically for the last days. And so he encourages us to, to continue to grow in our faith, um, you know, to not just take someone's word for it, to be reading and growing, read it for yourself. Um, then all of chapter 2, we spent a few weeks in chapter 2 uh, where he was warning us about people who would try to deceive you, right? False teachers and that kind of thing. Uh, and already in Peter's lifetime, he had seen some of that stuff start to creep into the church. Think about how weird it would have been for him, who was an eyewitness to these things, seeing someone teach, well, no, Jesus didn't rise from the dead or whatever, you know. Um, and Peter's like, no, I literally saw it. You know, I know it happened. So he was warning that, that uh, false teachers were going to come along and, you know, keep your eyes open for that. Um, now, I've mentioned this before, it, it always seems like when, uh, whenever I get to preach on Sunday that Chris times it perfectly where I have to cover, like, you know, how to, how to whether you should spank your kids or how you should give and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so, um, just a little sneak preview, here's a little simple, soft, easy verse we're going to cover today. 2 Peter 2, or 3, 10, uh, says, But in the, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Another easy, peasy verse, right? So, thanks, Chris, and that's what we're going to cover today. Uh, let me pray for us, and we'll get into it. Uh, Lord, we thank you this morning for uh, just allowing us to be together, uh, that we get to worship together, we get to fellowship, uh, and God, that we have such free and easy access to your holy word. Not everyone enjoys the, the freedoms and privileges that we have, and we're just thankful for those. Uh, Lord, we pray that today that you would bless this message, that uh, our hearts and minds would be open and ready to receive it, that we wouldn't just grow in knowledge, uh, but that we would leave here knowing you better. And uh, Lord, through that we can know who we can be in and through you. So we pray for your blessing on the message and on your people, and pray this in Jesus' name. So, just to clarify, uh, Jesus Christ is coming back. Amen. Jesus Christ is coming back. And so, the Bible talks about the the last days, and we always think of, like, those disaster movies, right? That's the, the last days is, like, not, you know, everything, there's lava everywhere, and, you know, the rock is going to, is your only hope, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh but according to the Bible, the last days basically began uh, when Jesus ascended into heaven. In other words, we started the, the clock, the timer, and it's winding down. Some people say, you know, we, this isn't uh, something that we should spend a lot of time on, because you can definitely over-obsess when it comes to prophetic things and the future and end times. But one-fifth of the Bible speaks of either the end of days or the second coming. So one-fifth of the Bible covers that. For every one verse about Jesus' first coming, there are eight verses about his second coming. 
Uh, Twenty-one times, Jesus himself personally referred to his second coming in, in the end times. So, it's a big deal. It's something that we should cover. So we're going to get into that a little bit and see what Peter has to say about it. Second Peter 3, verse 1. Says, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle or letter, in both of which I stir up your uh, pure minds by way of reminder. The first thing he says, he calls this beloved. Um, I stir up your minds with pure uh, minds of, by way of reminder. Verse 2, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandments of us, the apostles and the Lord of the Lord and Savior. So Peter, he opens this section by calling us beloved, and that's something that's a term he uses to refer to believers multiple times. But it's something we just kind of read past. Right? Beloved, you're loved by the Creator. Right? That's you, I'm, I love you, and that's why I'm telling you these things. I think that no greater disservice has been done to the gospel than by people who cause the name of Jesus to be associated with, you know, judgment and hate and discrimination. And some of us grew up with people like that, or you know people like that, that you know, they'll proclaim the name of Jesus, but there's nothing loving about them. John 13, verse 35 says this, it says, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Right? Jesus didn't say, by this all men will know you, my, you are my disciples if you protest outside somebody's funeral or whatever, you know, some of the weird stuff you see people do. In 1 John 4.8, this is a letter that John wrote later in his life, he says that the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And later in that same chapter, I love this one, verse 20, he says, If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. Now, we all have our bad moments, right? Um, I've, you know, not looked very loving before uh, when Wendy messed up my order, you know. Um, but... Overall, if your faith, if your testimony looks angry and judgmental um, rather than loving and compassionate, you're doing it wrong. Uh, anyway, we'll read on here. We'll go back to the first couple verses of Second Peter, uh, chapter 3. It says, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure mind by way of reminder. And he goes on and says uh, that you may be mindful of the words that were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. You see, he did something there. He says he's equated the, the writings of the prophets, the Old Testament, with the writings of the apostles, the New Testament. So these are the same. They have the same weight. Right? Um, can you imagine as, a, as an apostle, like everything you wrote down, you're like, is this one going in the Bible? You know, is this shopping list inspired or not? I, I think they knew when they were writing the inspired stuff. But he lets us know, look, you know, in the Old Testament and the New, uh, there's stuff in there that is the, we're, we're trying to remind you of. And he says, you know, we didn't make this stuff up, right? This 
what I'm talking about, the prophets in the Old Testament also talked about. But he says, you know, I'm trying to stir up your pure mind. Uh, or your untainted mind, your open mind. Um, free of any presuppositions or prejudices. So in other words, I want you to, you know, as I'm, try, I'm start, trying to stir up your mind, that you would look at this honestly and openly. You would not bring in your uh, preconceived notions that you would take what it says uh, for what it means. Basically, he's talking about, and when you study the, the Bible, uh, there's basically two types of teaching or, or ways that people present the Bible. Uh, we call them eisegesis and exegesis. All that means is um, eisegesis means I have an idea and I'm going to cram that idea into this verse and make it mean that. Uh, exegesis says, what's this verse mean? I'm going to pull the meaning out and try to explain it to you. So which one should you look for? Exegesis, right? Don't try to put ideas into the verse that aren't there. Uh, and so you know, he says, I want you to have an open mind and not be trying to put ideas in uh, that that we didn't mean when we wrote this stuff down. And so I don't want you to be, you know, impressed by how deep my teaching is or how inspiring of a speaker I am. Uh, I want you to leave here able to remember the truth. Is what he's getting at, and that that's what we hope to accomplish when we when we gather together. Is that we would leave here remembering the truth. Because we tend to forget what we should remember. And unfortunately, for many of us, we tend to remember what we should forget. And we call that shame. We carry, or trauma, right? We carry around things that God's already paid for, already dealt with, and we're just carrying it around. We tend to forget what we should remember and remember what we should he says, I'm trying to stir up your, per, your pure mind. I want you to be looking at this openly and honestly. Uh, and I'm going to use repetition. I'm going to use repetition. The importance of repetition uh, can't be understated. In fact, it should be repeated. Uh, that repetition, it's essential to learning. Right? It, it, it frees up. It, the more you repeat something, the more it becomes just part of your, your subconscious mind. It frees up your conscious mind to do more learn more. That's why, you know, we, we keep telling our kids things. And, and trust me, parents, we just keep telling them, keep telling them, and they'll remember in their 40s. That's, that's, yeah, that's how it's worked for me, anyway. But, you know, we, there are certain uh, verses that we will quote a lot around here because we feel like they're essential to understanding the gospel. There's a, a few certain key phrases that we use regularly because they're things that we feel are essential to you learning how to live out the gospel in your life. And so, yeah, when you're like, man, I've heard Nate say that ten times. Now you can remember it, right? So Peter is doing the same thing. He says, I, I want to stir up your mind. Yes, I'm repeating some things that you probably already know, but it bears repeating. And just because you know it doesn't mean it's, it's soaked in yet and become a part of uh, how you're living your life. Verse 3, he says, Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, 
all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. He says scoffers are going to come. That these scoffers are that someone who takes lightly what should be taken seriously. He says people are going to come and they're going to scoff at what we've been talking about, what we've been trying to teach. And these people are walking according to their own lusts, or they, your translation may say, have a strong desire for evil. Anything that can make you accountable for your immorality, you have to deal with one way or the other. You have to either accept it as truth, or you mock it. That's basically how people handle it. Romans 1 I think that, that people in these last days will trade the truth for a lie and worship the creation rather than the creator. As long, as long as there's no creator, there's no one for me to be accountable to. But what he's talking about here in verse 4, he says, these people are going to come along mocking your faith, but specifically they're going to say, where's the promise of his coming? You keep saying Jesus is coming back. Where is he? Well, there's this thing that... Um, in psychology called uh, normalcy bias. And that's basically, uh, it's what leads people to develop cancer from smoking for years or drinking for years. You know, and we, we keep saying it's really bad for you. But the thing is, people all over the world will say, well, I haven't got cancer yet. So then I won't. Right? It hasn't happened yet, so it, it must not be a thing that's going to happen. We have this normalcy bias that... Uh, Things are just always going to be how they are. And it creates an inability to cope when a disaster does come. You see, uh, they'll see it a lot in uh, war zones where certain people will just freeze up and be almost unable to move because it's so chaotic. Life has always been normal and now it's not. And they just can't, can't act. So there's a little bit of normalcy bias, but also there's this, this school of thought that's influenced a lot of the world uh, the last couple centuries especially. Uh, it's called uniformitarianism. Can you spell that one? We can probably pull it off. Uniformitarianism. This won't be on the test or anything. But this is a, a school of thought in geology. And it's that um, basically that the earth has existed in its present condition forever. Or, 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 you know, as long as it's been here, it's, it's just slowly and gradually transformed into what it is. Uh, that there were, there's not been like big cataclysmic events or chaotic events. It's mostly just slow and, and steady growth toward being better and better and better. Charles Darwin uh, latched onto that, that, that thinking and, and used that as a, a bedrock for his theories of evolution um, that, you know, basically slow and steady, no cataclysmic events. So they say everything has gone on just like it has since the beginning of time, right? which is what the scoffers say. Now, today there's a resurgence of um, catastrophism, I think is what it's called. But basically the idea that, oh no, there's been catastrophic events that have affected our, our climate and landscape and that kind of thing. So there, there is some debate now. But over the last couple centuries, 
that uniformitarianism has been a big thing right, in science, and it's affected our culture as well. We basically say things have always been how they are, and they're just going to get better and better. Peter says, though, you're forgetting something. If that's how you think, you're forgetting something. Verse 5, 2 Peter 3, verse 5. It says, for this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. Because they willfully forget this one thing. Plato said that um, you know we can easily forgive a child who's afraid of the dark, but it's a real tragedy in life when a man is afraid of the light. We all have we all have these things that we uh, we try to forget. Right? That's where that normalcy bias comes in. Like I try to forget that Doritos will have a direct influence on this. I, I know it to be true, but I, you know, I push that fact out of my mind. I push through. You know. <laughs> but Peter says, you're forgetting that the heavens were of old, that God spoke all of this into existence. And the earth standing out of water and in the water. Now, that's kind of confusing, right? But he's, what he's referring to is back in Genesis 6, the creation account. He says that he separated the waters uh, below from the waters above. In other words, there was water on earth and water around the earth, a, a water vapor canopy. And uh, there's not a whole lot of debate on that. Most people, most scientists agree that, yeah, there was a period in time when that's what the atmosphere was. And still today, the earth is still, what, four-fifths water, something like that? But Peter says the, the, the very stuff that God used to create this earth, he also used as part of its destruction at one time. He's talking about the flood, the great flood. Noah's Ark is one of those um, topics that kind of near and dear to my heart. Um, remember, when when we think about this story especially, most people dismiss it and mock it. Because when you think of Noah's Ark, I bet most of you think of the coloring book version of Noah's Ark, right? little boat, the giraffe head sticking out the window, right? Um, and you're like, how do they fit all those animals on that little boat? Um, now, we're not going to make the message all about this, but if you read the dimensions, it was about 500 feet long. Uh, storage capacity of about 450 uh, standard semi-trailers, which means it would have had room for about 120,000 sheep if you just want to use a, like an average size animal. Um, plus capacity for uh, water, for food, all of that. But some people will say, well, you know, every culture on earth has a flood story. And it's true. You go to South America, they have a flood account. North Americans, Native Americans had a flood account. Middle East, Asia, everywhere on earth there is some devastation, catastrophic event, flood story. Uh, you know, the Epic of Gilgamesh is one that people point to. And so they say, see, it's just a story. And I say, see, everywhere on earth people agree there was a flood. Everywhere on earth, every culture agrees there was something that happened. 
Now, you may have details right or wrong, but we, they all agree there was some sort of catastrophic event. And so if we, you know, you go back and read that um, in Genesis 6, and we learn a little bit more about Noah and Hebrews, but, you know, we, we learn that he preached about the, the coming flood or the coming judgment for about a century, and the only people that really listened and got on the boat were his family. And I don't know if they really listened or he just ordered them on the boat, you know. Um, and so, you know, people probably mocked him. Now, traditionally people say, oh, the people mocked him, but the Bible doesn't never actually says that. But we do know that nobody listened. You know, nobody um, obeyed what he had said was going to happen. So Peter says, look, you think that things will always continue just as they are. And you're forgetting about the flood. Because those people thought everything would continue. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 24. Verse 37, he says, But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. Right? Life was going on as well. Now, if you're like me, we tend to think, you know, we look at the past and we're like, look at how dumb people were back then. You ever had that, I, I love time travel movies and time travel books. But, but I've had this thought, have you ever had that thought where I would love to travel back in time because I would be like a wizard. You know, I know so many things. But the reality is, you'd probably be dumb if you went back. Like, I know I have a cell phone. Do you know how to make it work? You know, you know how to launch a satellite? Do you know how to do any of the things that you enjoy in modern uh, conveniences? Probably not. And actually, we're also not giving people enough credit to live in the past. Like, I thought this was interesting. We have a picture of this. The first electric car, a guy named Robert Anderson built that in 1832. Yeah, we think that, that, you know, Tesla came up with that, right? 1832, there were electric cars. As a matter of fact, electric cars were more prevalent uh, until about to turn into the 20th century when uh, gasoline-powered engines, you know, kind of took over. Nero had ice cream in 53 A.D. The Greeks, oh, this is cool, they had flamethrowers in the 7th century. Nice. Submarines were invented in the 1600s. So to think that, oh, the people of old, they were, you know, primitive dummies, is a, it's a foolish thought. And really, I don't know if you've ever seen those um, online, you can find like the test you needed to take to graduate out of 8th grade back in the uh, 19th century. Most of us adults did not pass that test today. Um, anyway, so we, we think of people back then as being dumb. Now, Jesus says, it was just like today. There were people just like you, eating and drinking, getting married, living their life. Matthew 24, we'll read it again, verse 38. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving, giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. 
and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field, and one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, and one will be taken and the other left. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Sometimes when I leave, uh, you know, some of my older kids at home, you know, I go to run an errand or whatever, I'll purposely not tell them what time I'm coming back. So I'm like, you need to have your room clean when I get back. Well, what time will you be, will you be back? I'm like, I'm not telling you that, because then you're going to do the five-minute express clean where you shove everything under the mattress, right? Just know it needs to be clean when I get back. Now, when we read stuff about this, like, you know, you don't know what hour he's coming and be prepared, as a Christian, that should not scare you. Uh, if it does, it should make you do a little personal reflection. You know, am I just shoving everything under the bed in my life? 2 Peter 3, verse 7. Read on. Uh, it says, But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Now, people try to build too much out of that verse. That's not literally how time works for, for God. It's that God exists outside of time. A thousand years is no bigger deal to Him than a day. Right? He, he created time. He sees the beginning and the end and everything in between. I remember I heard a story one time about a, a guy that was praying and, and actually heard God answer. He said, okay, I've got this opportunity. God, I know that to you, one day is or a thousand years is like a day, and, and you own everything on earth, and you know, a million dollars is no different than one dollar, and so, Lord, would you give me a million dollars? And the Lord said, sure, in a minute. Yeah. It's done, I know. But God, the point is, God doesn't view time the way we do. Right? Uh, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering or patient toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So he's not late. He's not uh, being slow about it. Kind of like Gandalf, you know, when he says a, a wizard is never late, nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he needs. Everyone hearing that that verse should be thankful that God is long-suffering and is patient, that He wants everyone to come to repentance. That word repentance, it just means a U-turn, basically, a change of direction. He wants you to turn toward Him and away from everything that's been keeping you from Him. And we should all be thankful that He is patient because we have the chance to come to faith. Right? He wants you to be saved. Verse 10, it says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, 
in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. We covered this verse a little bit on Wednesday night. We're going through Isaiah on Wednesdays, and, and we get into a little bit more of the prophetic stuff and, and how the end time things are going to work. But even when we read that, which is way more specific about it than Peter is here, you have to be careful. Because, you know, God revealed some things about the future, uh, but a lot of it still remains a mystery. We can speculate, we, we can try to figure some things out, but I can tell you this, beware of anyone who sets a date, right, that Jesus is going to return on this day at this time, or this, this one year, because whatever date they pick, you can probably just rule that one out, right? He says that nobody knows the hour. Um, and you should leave room for questions. I'm sure if you've been in church for a while, here or anywhere else, you probably have your idea of how this is all going to work. Whether there's a rapture, and is it before Christ comes, is it in the middle of the tribulation, whatever, all that stuff. I just encourage you, whatever your view is, to leave room for questions. Leave room that maybe you don't have it all figured out. Because we don't have to agree on all the details of that. To still believe in the same Jesus. To still believe in the same God. To have fellowship together. But I can tell you a few things that we do know. Right? We know that Jesus says, I am coming back. Jesus is coming back. We know there will be a final judgment. Uh, that heaven and hell are real. And you will be somewhere forever. Time is short is basically what Peter's getting at. Now, we can look back and go, well, gosh, if it was short then, it's, two, you know, it's almost 2,000 years later. How, how long is short? You know? All we know is it's soon. It's soon. So how should we live in light of that? If Jesus is coming back soon, how should we live in light of that? That's actually going to be the verse we start on next Sunday. That's the question Peter asks in verse 11. But for now, beloved, that's what you are. I just encourage you to not listen to those who would belittle you for your beliefs. If you feel made small or embarrassed by some, you know, someone's comments about your faith, it can inspire us to go and, and study and read and grow in our faith, but don't let a scoffer hinder your faith. If anything, it should increase it, because when someone scoffs, you can go, oh yeah, the Bible said that's what would happen. The Bible said in the last days people would get all confused that they would start worshiping, worshiping the creation rather than the creator, that uh, they would not be able to tell right from wrong anymore, that they would say that what is good is now bad, and what was bad is good, and, and we see it all around. Now, if you would not put yourself in that camp, that camp if you're still not sure about uh, any of this or whether you, whether you even believe, I'm just going to read you a few verses, and I encourage you to listen to these and read these uh, and, and take a look at Jesus with an open mind, which is what Peter was asking. I'm trying to stir up 
Revelation 22, verse 12. Jesus says, And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his word. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Verse 17 says, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come. Let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life. Verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come. But soon is, is relative. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. We don't know. But I do know that we all have an appointment with eternity. And your appointment could be today. Whether Jesus comes back or not. Ready? Break.